Welcome to the Nordic Food Tech Podcast. On this show, we share the stories of how different actors up and down the value chain are working to take climate action through food. It's all about inspiring collaboration, discussing the good that is happening, the challenges we share, and realizing a common vision for our future food system. I'm your host, Annalisa Winther, and let's jump in. All right, here's an idea. Imagine if every family had a farmer, like you have a family doctor that you see regularly, to make sure you're getting the best, healthiest, most nutritious food for your body and lifestyle. In 2017, a couple named Camilla and Raymond were working and living in Oslo, trying to get the best food possible to feed themselves and their three kids. Realizing that food is tightly linked with health, they were looking for high-quality, nutrient-dense foods, but actually struggling to find it in the grocery stores of Norway. So they decided to start growing their own food. It first started with a garden in their lawn, and then they expanded and bought a farm, moving out of the city and starting to become more and more self-sufficient. Following regenerative principles, their goal became to waste nothing and nourish the soil rather than deplete it. Soon, they started producing more food than they needed, selling the extra fruit, vegetables, and eggs to their community. Camilla quit her regular job to work on the farm full-time, and Raymond, working as an IT engineer, went down to three days a week. They taught themselves how to farm using books and the internet. Today, they administer multiple reco rings around Oslo, which are markets that directly connect farmers to consumers. In this episode, we will learn how Camilla and Raymond traded city life for farm life in a wide-ranging conversation about alternative food systems, trust, regenerative agriculture, health, and sustainability. For them, feeding the world starts locally. Because if every community could sustainably feed themselves, then we would be able to feed the world one community at a time. A small note before we get started today. It takes a lot of cups of coffee, conversations, and hours of research to produce the Nordic Food Tech podcast by yours truly. If the show has touched you in some way, shape, or form, consider supporting it for $5 a month. This will go a long way to keep it running independently. You can contribute at nordicfoodtechpodcast.substack.com, and the link is also in the show notes or on our website. Thank you so much. We're here today to talk about how you two became farmers. And I'd love to go back to the beginning of just understanding your journey to becoming a farmer and how you got into this life. Well, it all started. We, we used to live in the city, in the capital of Norway, which is uh, Oslo. And um, it all started with food quality because uh, we were modern hunters, like uh, a lot of people are in the city, looking for high quality meat, vegetables. And, you know, in the city, there's a big variety, but we found that a lot of the food didn't hold the right quality. It wasn't nutrient dense enough. So we started this thing from farmers and we bought uh, meat and milk straight from the farms. But then we found out that we wanted to grow our own stuff. So when we got kids and moved out of the city, we moved an hour from uh, the capital. We bought a house and we started growing our own potatoes and carrots in the lawn. <laughs> and we first started uh, as uh, many other people uh, live, like uh, a house and uh, a small garden. Um, and there was uh, all the lawn outside. It wasn't much, but uh, if you uh, grow food on every lawn you have, uh, you get a lot of food, uh, mm -hmm. you know? So you can uh, prepare and have it stored for winter time and you know, all of this. And also it was like we had, um, the house was, uh, it was prepared for uh, building a garage, um, but we didn't build a garage. We built a, a greenhouse uh because uh, the car doesn't need a house we thought uh, we need food that was the beginning of uh the farming education and it was uh, like youtube and books and uh, it, it's all things we have learned uh, the, on the way and uh, just uh, experiencing but still we wanted to connect more to nature 
it was like uh, it was houses everywhere and uh, we couldn't have chickens uh, the way we wanted to. The, um, the tip of the iceberg was that we, our neighbors thought we were crazy, you know, uh, ripping up the, uh, the grass and putting carrots and potatoes in instead. But when uh, our greenhouse was filled up with tomatoes and strawberries, we were thinking about using some of the space on the side for even more. And I wanted a raspberry patch. I always dreamed of a long raspberry patch, you know, where you can go every morning, pick your raspberries for your yogurt and your muesli or granola. And we just didn't have the space for it. And when uh, my wife wanted some chickens, because feeding all the scraps from our food to the chickens, that translates into free eggs, you know, it's perfect. But then the neighbor started complaining about the noise from the chickens in the morning, because there was a fox one morning trying to eat the chickens. And of course, the chickens <laughs> make a lot of noise. So later that day, our neighbor, he was a very modest and nice guy. He came over and he said, my daughter, she's 16 years old. You know, she she would like to sleep on this Sunday. Do you, you think you can make your chickens be quiet? And that was the drop. You know, my wife said, no more. We need to buy a farm. We, uh, we need more space. We, we can't live in a regular house. We needed the connection with nature, uh, not like just being outside or uh, go for a walk in the forest. But we wanted like the the whole meaning of it: uh, be outside, live outside, work outside. We also go inside, but the work is outside, and the kids are with us, and uh, we are uh, a family working together. And everything is in nature. You are you are more in it than just being taking a walk in the the forest. It, that's not enough. That's not connecting you uh, totally. I think. I know in Norway, a big term that people live by is the friluftsliv, like um, life outdoors or outdoors life. Friluftsliv, yeah. That people people uh, take a walk in the forest and they bring their tent and they uh, and they barbecue and mm. stuff like that. And, and that and that's nice. That's really nice and really good, but people are uh, a part of nature. And if you if you are in nature and producing food, uh, you take care of your animals, you are with your kid outside, it's, it becomes uh, a part of you in uh, a different way. I'm wondering too with food, because you had this journey of living in the city, but then wanting to try and find the best produce. And what was the struggle you came up against that kind of prompted this, that you even said, we need to start growing our own and we're going to give it a shot first thing is that uh, the varieties in the stores in norway is not very high you know in the u.s you have a whole aisle just with uh, maybe potatoes and chips and, and yes like 20 kinds of potatoes yeah. it's crazy yeah, it's crazy we've been to florida a couple of years ago and in norway you have if if i say you have half of it it's you're not even close so for example if you want organic strawberries you can't find that they don't sell it in the store we have maybe Three percent of our produce in the store is organic. With Reco, this has changed because now we have a possibility to buy stuff straight from the farmers. But we had three big corporate store owners in Norway, and they control ninety-nine percent, I think, of the food market. They are the they are the richest people in Norway, uh, as well as the one guy who owns the uh, the salmon industries. One of them, at least. So they dictate what you can sell and the prices and who gets to sell stuff at the stores. So we didn't know, like my wife said, uh, when you're trying to connect to nature, you a part of that is that you want to disconnect from corporate life, at least in some ways. So trying to find a way to grow this yourself so you can have the quality of food and life that you want. Because when you have kids, your focus shifts a lot over on the kids. You want them to have the best possibilities. We are hardwired hardwired this way. So we have come to realize that there is no greater value than high quality food and the best way to Yeah, what you put in your body is Mm. so important. Absolutely. And sets the standard for health too. Mm -hmm. And and it's another uh, part of it. It's uh, uh, very hard to find produce that's made uh, with nature. It's like all is uh, industrialized. An example is like when you get uh, eggs in Norway, it's uh, over 7,000 chickens in a barn. If it's organic, they have the opportunity to go outside if they want. But they are not outside that much. 
um, many of uh, our customers now, they want our eggs because we have 200 chickens. That's not many. <laughs> and they live on the farm like uh, they have uh, a mission and they, have, um, they are our animals. Uh, and uh, the eggs are better because they eat outside in nature. That you can't get if you ha don't have it yourself or if you know mm. someone like us. The chickens, the chickens are outside all the time, you know. They are not living inside in, con in contained quarters to not have the problems with the, uh, the fox or the hawks and stuff like that. So the birds, they get sunlight. And the sunlight exposes the birds in a way that you get more vitamin D from your eggs. The egg jolts are vitamin D rich. And in Scandinavia, as you might know, most of us have D vitamin deficiency because the, the food is not nutrient dense enough anymore. We are overfed and undernourished. So when you buy some eggs, at least from our farm and some of our colleagues, the chickens will eat, you know, insects and grass and all kinds of things instead of soy-based industrial food. So of course, this will amount to a much better product. Even the yeah. eggshells are more, uh, are higher quality. I want to dig into a couple of the concepts that you just mentioned and start by this idea of farming with nature and what that means some people also refer to it as regenerative agriculture. So how did you come to that notion of farming with nature? I know you said you educated yourself through books and YouTube, which I've heard a couple other people doing in the Nordics that they're learning to become farmers on YouTube, which is kind of fun. Um, but how did you even get there? And then how did you go on this vein as opposed to something else? It was uh, it's easy to explain, actually, because it was... Uh, in my um, garden uh, at the house I had before, I just learned to grow food, uh, like in small spaces. And then you learn uh, how do you get your soil to be good? You learn how to weed control, you learn how to grow just small uh, amounts of food. And then we bought this farm. It's not big, but for me, it was very big. And I had some... A bit of a nervous breakdown <laughs> no but still uh, it was uh, a lot to take in it was a lot of forest and uh, and everything was just grass or forest how do I start uh, and then uh, we just took some small spaces at the time and just uh, did all the things I learned bigger <laughs> so I, I do uh, almost the same thing I uh, use my body uh, as a machine and I do everything by hand. Um, and this is the base, best way for the soil. And then I get the food I want. And uh, after that, right. we put in some chickens and some sheep to, uh, to help us in the forest. And uh, it started to, to roll. And we planted uh, rows of uh, berry bushes and fruit trees uh, in um, broad spectrum varieties. It's, it, it's uh, actually, when you're talking about regenerative agriculture, it's really quite easy in a way because you just do things the, naturally the way that nature wants it, you know. If you go outside and look at a um, uh, flower bed, there's no open soil there. It's always covered with something. So we just went outside and planted our trees and we covered the hole with chips or wood chips or something like that. And then you don't have to water it because the water doesn't ever, ever uh, evaporize. And the same goes for insects and pesticides. If you leave everything alone, the birds take care of uh, some of the insects that you don't want. And if you build if you build soil health, that's what it's all about because a healthy soil gives a healthy plant. If the plant is healthy, it will survive pesticides, pests. You don't need pesticides. And uh, yeah. if you plant 15 different fruit trees, some of them will not get sick. Some of them will not freeze. So you don't get apples that year. And some of them will always survive an attack from uh, nature. So mm -hmm. biodiversity in your amount of plants and what you grow and how much different plants you grow is a big part of it. It's for us, it's just common sense. We never had to look up the word to know how to do it. It was just natural. You would never, I would never give my children poison. You know, why would I poison my plants? It's just not logical. And that's a big yeah. issue here because 
when you look a customer in the face, you connect with a farmer. And that's a big deal because when a Norwegian buys stuff straight from us, he knows that where the produce comes from and you, you gain a trust. When something is produced in India, like rice, for example, and is shipped to Norway, you know nothing about how it was produced. You know nothing about the people who made it. You don't know how their soil quality is. You don't have the, know how the living facilities are. You don't know it's, if it's slavery. You just buy stuff at the store and you have no relationship to it. It is funny because all of business and all of life is relationships and the same is true in food, like you're saying. It removes the anonymity uh, that goes into it. And when we were corresponding back and forth, you shared with me one thing that really stuck out that I want to share with everyone. Um, in terms of how you're working, it's all about getting the most nutrient-dense food without disrupting nature. And at the same time, building the soil and leaving it in a better condition than when you started. Nature has it all figured out. And when you start to understand that, nature will help you as long as you do things on its terms. And that just totally stuck with me that it kind of, you get into this flow state where you're working in symbiotic nature as opposed to trying to control it or uh, do anything else. But I want to even go back a little bit more to say that you started speaking about soil health and why that was so important. And that Camilla, the first thing you did was say, how do I improve the health of my soil? And then how do I manage my weeds? Um, which is critical if you're growing anything. So really even basically, how did you get started converting this farmland you had? Because I think even at the time it was not, I mean, it was not in the condition that it is today with the amount of biodiversity, with the amount of production that you have. So how did that happen? Um, much of it is like, we always think that you can use time. You have to be a bit patient. That's the first step. When you do it without machinery, you have to take one area at a time. Mm -hmm. Some areas we put the chickens on and some areas we just put on a lot of organic matter. We can, if we take an example, if you want to really basic, let's say you have a patch of earth, which is overgrown with weed. If you have a little spot outside, uh, you would like to grow something on. If we do it really small, we would cover that with, for example, newspapers because they are organic. And then we would put some um, growing soil on top of that. And the newspapers would make sure that the weeds would not go through because they don't get any sunlight. And then you would plant your, uh, let's say you wanted some beans, you would plant that on the topsoil that you put on the newspapers. That would basically be it, you know, for a start. But like my wife is saying, if we have a huge space, we would send out maybe the chickens first. They would eat everything that they wanted. And then we would remove them and put out the sheep and they would graze in a different way. And then at last, maybe you would put out uh, the cattle and they graze a different way as well. And when they are finished, you have very rich and uh, nutrient-dense soil, which you can plant in. And uh, your question, was, uh, it's all, it all depends on what you're going to grow. Because when we planted berry bushes and fruit trees, things that uh, will uh, last many years. We just planted them right in the, in the field, like uh, it was grass underneath, clover and that uh, nitrogen-fixing uh, plants. We just uh, dig a hole, planted the berry, uh, berries uh, or fruit trees and just uh, went along the row. Around the bushes and trees, we put some... Um, wood chips or grass clippings and every time we clip the grass uh, between if it uh, it's uh, if there's no no animals there we put everything around the the trees if you if you picture this you have two rows of raspberry bushes and in between you have grass right and then you go with your mower and you mow all the grass in the middle so the grass lands on the raspberry patch this is food for the raspberries then you don't need fertilizer you know, it's, mm -hmm. it, it's not, it doesn't make any sense. Why would you want to buy extra fertilizer for a plant when all it needs is right there? And then you don't have to water it. We don't water anything other than uh, carrots and onions and that we have to water, there, but uh, nothing else. There's no need to water the perennials because their root system is so developed because of the soil health. So uh, I'm very proud to say that my wife, she's done an amazing, we have a tunnel, you know, a growing tunnel. And for three years, we've had tomatoes in there. And this year, 
This summer, there was no need to water it because the hummus in the soil was so great and, uh, and it absorbed water so much we didn't need watering. It's like a sponge, you know? So that when you, you don't uh, compress it with uh, heavy machinery and you uh, put organic matter on the top every year and the chickens will walk there and uh, do their things, the soil is so very good uh, for the roots and the roots can go deep in the soil. And then the plants can um, uh, uh, absorb, absorb <laughs> all the good nutrients from deeper in the soil. And uh, the funny thing is I have an um, education in uh, health. And I'm very fond of like thinking we lack so many nutrients. Uh, our bodies uh, in the modern society... Because uh, it's many reasons, but I think one of them is uh, to connect with uh, the soil health and the lack of the soil health and the lack of using uh, time to let things grow uh, in the best way, like getting the roots deeper. Mm -hmm. And you know, the, the old uh, grain varieties, uh, they have no need for fertilizers. The roots go deep and uh, uh, bring up the uh, selen, magnesium, you know, all the things we really need. Mm. And you can't put them in the body, body uh, from uh, synthetic things you go and uh, find at the pharmacy because that's not the same. Uh, your body won't recognize that and in the same way as from uh, nature. That's my opinion on uh, that. <laughs> I think it's important to highlight how what you're doing is different than conventional agriculture. So can you talk about what those differences are? We touched upon it a little bit, but just to be really clear in what the definition of regenerative agriculture is and even how you think about uh, fertilizer, animal welfare compared to the more monoculture conventional agricultural system. I think the first thing to say is uh, we don't want to uh, talk uh, bad about uh, conventional, conventional like um, because it has been like this and become like this because of uh, the um, the wanting for volume and uh, and earning a lot of money in a short period of time. The thing we uh, will talk about is like in Norway, we have a land with the small spaces we can use. And if every small space and every little farm uh, would become uh, uh, efficient and uh, you can use it for uh, uh, growing food locally, uh, this will uh, feed in Norway uh, the way it should be. I want to pause too, and I, we can go back to the question, but people have never been to Norway. It's I want to say rocky, but like it's a lot of up and down all over the place. We can talk about that. Yeah, sure. Okay. So in Norway, we can use 3% of our land area for growing stuff, you know, crops. And 1% of those 3% are, are used for human food. So it goes without saying it's very difficult for a country like us to have big rows of monoculture. That is also one of the reasons why over 70% to this day is imported, which is a huge amount. We would not be self-sufficient mm. if uh, the borders were closed. When that all that is said and done, if all the small farm areas, all the rocky small farm areas along this long coastal line would have been used again, if people would start all these small farms, you would be able to feed all of Norway without problems. And what is sustainability in a country like Norway? What does what does that look like? Because we think that's quite different in Norway than perhaps in uh, India. Because like you are saying, it's rocky here. So what can we eat? Well, we have a lot of grass. We have a lot of uh, mountains with uh, trees and leaves. So it's perfect for sheep and goats. And you can get everything your body, body needs from sheep meat. And we can use the milk like we did in the old days, you know? They ate salmon and they ate uh, mackerel and fish, other kinds of fish, and they ate meat. That was the thing they survived on. And maybe some, uh, some carrots and some other earth uh, vegetables. And this is, this is our point. The way to feed uh, the world, in our opinion, is to feed ourselves. If you feed everyone locally, you feed the world. Sending mangoes, I'm, I'm not against mangoes. Mangoes are fantastic. Should it be a part of the diet uh, once a week? Should bananas be a part of our diet uh, once a week when you live in a country uh, far away from Brazil? I don't think so. 
when our father and mother were kids, it was like a Christmas present getting to eat an orange because that was a special kind of fruit, you know? Like uh, modern chefs in the U.S. as well, you know, they, they cook food based on what's in season because then you get the best stuff. Then you get the most nutrients. This is common sense. So you just mentioned that a big part of the philosophy is that if you feed your community, you feed the world. Yeah. And at this point, how how are you feeding your community? Obviously, you're feeding your family, but how much has it extended beyond just your farm and what you're doing into the community? We are uh, working on that still because we have just uh, been working on it for two years. But we have been uh, uh, growing food for many years. But for the community, we're just started because we have planted the fruit trees and berries and that need t- needs time. Um, mm-hmm. Our philosophy is this. We grow everything we would like to eat ourselves because then we know that the stuff we have uh, uh, grown is maybe stuff other people would like to eat as well. And when we you grow things you love yourself, you put a lot of love and, and nourishment into it. And then what we have in excess, we then sell at uh, the farmer's market or uh, at RECO. So the point is not feeding everyone from our farm, but you know, our farm has an amount of sustainability when it comes to how much we can feed. How many sheep do, uh, do we have the space for? How many sheep can we feed with our grass? Because if you have seven and a half thousand chickens and you get and you feed them from uh, corn from Brazil or Uzbekistan, that is not very sustainable, is it? It's easy to have a lot of uh, birds or, uh, or animals if you get the feed for some, from somewhere else. But in our thought of mine, it is much more sustainable to feed a mountain animal based on what you have on your farm. So if I can grow mm. uh, two tons of raspberry and me and my wife can harvest that, well, that is the amount of raspberries we can produce. It's very simple. Mm-hmm. And in terms of the reco rings, that was a concept that started in Finland and I guess has since spread to Norway. What is a reco ring? It stands for reco is uh, righteous consummation. The point is the customer gets the best produce and the farmer gets a good price, a right price. Because today a farmer can produce potatoes and he will get a, a, a nickel for a kilo of potatoes and the store will sell it for 600% more. So the farmer almost makes nothing and the store makes a lot of profit. And that is very illogical when the, the only thing the store does is, uh, you know, t- uh, exchange money for produce. The real job gets done at the farm. And we are trying to, to uh, break out of this habit. It's like a modern market, if you will. The, own, the big difference is that if we are to sell blueberries at the market, you would stand there all day with your blueberries. And if it's a good day and the sun is out, maybe you will sell half of it. And the rest will be spoiled because of the hot weather. But at Reco. Every farmer knows how much uh, produce they have uh, sold. So they only bring what they have sold because people pay in advance and order in advance. This is the genius part mm. about it. So like yesterday, we went to Reco in Oslo. We knew how many uh, packages of eggs to bring. We knew how much money we were going to make and we knew uh, who were going to pick it up. And the, and the stores don't take all the money. We get the money ourselves. We have almost 300 producers Farmers at Reco now, and I think maybe 200 of them, they are able to live on farming again just because they get the right amount of money for their goods. Oh, wow. And you have the trust between uh, between people. You, you don't throw away food. If you know that I have been working very hard to produce uh, the eggs or the apples you buy from me, you won't throw them away because you know I'm a nice girl and you won't throw away the food I made for you. And that's uh, logic. Let's say this was knitted by your grandmother. You would never throw that away because it has value. It has history. You you knew the people or the person who made it. We need to have the value back, the value in everything we do. And then we can have a a smaller amount of it and love it instead of throwing, throwing it away. We need that back, I think. Yeah. We actually think we have the, the solution to uh, food uh, waste. This is the solution to food waste. Mm. Nobody throws away stuff when you either might make it yourself or you know or have a connection with where you got it. That's why it's so easy to throw food away at the store because it's not from your country. It's that simple. Mm. You, you, 
you uh, put a kind of responsibility on the person buying it. It has value. Uh, we are like being told to think that we can't grow our own food uh, in a way because it's like, uh, isn't that hard? Are you thinking you're going to make it? How can you uh, live on a farm? Isn't that much to do? Isn't that much work? Um, mm. Yes, but uh, I want this life. I want to use my body. I want to use my brain to find out how to change uh, all the panels on the barn. Uh, I want to find out how to build a chicken coop. Uh, and I just do that. Uh, and I'm not amazing. I just want to learn and want to do things we are supposed to do. Find out how to live and uh, make food. I know that people would like to do more about uh, more uh, of uh, and the kids. I'm uh, a bit uh, sad to see how many kids they, they don't know anything, like anything mm -hmm. at all in how the the food uh, are uh, made. They are deprived of all kinds of knowledge, you know. We are depriving ourselves of all kinds of knowledge and the, and feeling accomplished because when you do not do anything yourself anymore, you don't get, get the feeling of uh, being able to to learn and 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 feel good about uh, knowledge. Today, one of the things that we feel that we really earn, uh, learn and own the whole process is uh, heat, you know. We can go down in the forest and cut down our tree. We chop it up, leave it all summer for it to dry. Then we bring it it's inside and then we make kindle of it. At, and at last, we put it in the fireplace. We own the whole process from start to finish. How many people in the Western world today own a whole process? If you buy an iPhone, the only process you own is updating it. The rest of the stuff is made at a billion other places. You know the basics of something so simple as heating yourself and your house and cooking a kettle of tea. And this is the basic of happiness, I think. And this was one of the reasons we wanted to live like this. Uh, it wasn't just the food. It was also, I want my kids to complain in the field that it's a bit hard and it's uh, warm and uh, we don't want to do this. And I say, okay, just uh, lay on the grass and uh, look at the birds. And in five minutes, they come to work uh, because they really want to deep inside and then they uh, pick the berries uh, and they we go inside and they learn how to make jam and in the winter when they go down uh, to get a glass of uh, jam uh, all our jam is now from the farm they are so happy and this was um, this is really warming me because this was one of the things i wanted to do for my family uh, I want them to feel like they are useful for something good. So that jam tastes very good. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many important topics that we've been talking about today. Um, Self-sufficiency being one and just, you know, putting in the hard work to reap the reward and how much sweeter that tastes Absolutely. to diversity, which I think is something under talked about biodiversity, but just diversity in general in the food system Meaning that when you think about your finances, the classic thing is don't put all your eggs in one basket. Absolutely. You know, it's a farm metaphor for a reason because that puts you at risk and vulnerability. And the same is true when we talk about food. So just the land itself, you know, if you just walk by one little patch of nature, you'll see so many different things growing at once. And that creates resiliency that leads to then the self-sufficiency. And even when we talk about our health, there's such a clear connection. Now we hear more and more about the gut microbiome and that you need gut health and gut diversity. And that's for meeting different things. And that comes again, back to the soil and what you're growing. So it's very deeply connected. Um, and even what you said about trust, that it's restoring trust in the community. And I found these last couple of years fascinating because COVID created so many different supply chain disruptions. And I remember in the very beginning when we had some of the supermarket shortages people went back to the basics of freaking out about where am I going to get my food? Like, I don't know if I have a safe, secure food supply. And I'm very in the same now, we've seen so many disruptions with restaurants too. I'm very curious to see if that is pushing a more local approach or people are looking in other ways to say, oh my goodness, like we don't want to be as vulnerable. We need to make sure that we have something here. Um, 
I don't know if you've seen differences there. You've seen more people hopping onto this bandwagon, but we've talked about a lot of really important concepts. We uh, we live by a by a lake, and it's a real nice walk around the lake for people who live in our local town and the towns uh, around here. And we have never seen so many parked cars uh, in the, the in last in the first summer. People were walking because they couldn't go to the big uh, malls, you know. A regular uh, Norwegian family, it's Saturday. What should we do? Let's go to the mall, have some coffee and buy some clothing we do not need. That's what people do. And when it's closed, they have to do something else. So people started taking a walk again. So a lot of people were walking around the farm and they were standing by the fence and looking in at my wife with a shovel. They've never seen a farmer with a shovel before. you know. So that was kind of funny. And at first we thought, this is kind of annoying. So many people, you wouldn't believe the amount of cars. But then we started to talk with people, you know, and discuss. And I think you're right about the, the disruptions because a lot of people were talking about the same things as, as uh, you're saying. Mm-hmm. And it's also interesting to me that, you know, I think within the last generation or so, we've moved away from a lot of things that our ancestors did for a really long time. And what I see happening consistently is that we're kind of refining our way back to that. And it's everything from eating the whole animal to like figuring out how to grow things, to not wasting any food, to doing these basic principles that it's not new, but somehow we're kind of proving that this is the right thing to do and, you know, using facts and figures and stuff to do it. But it's it's not necessarily that innovative. It's kind of a like you said, natural. When you started doing this, it was intuitive. We're reinventing the wheel. Yeah, it's like uh, baking bread. It's been a sourdough or uh, or nerd bread. Every uh, mother could bake some bread before, but now it's like, oh, I can't do it. It's like you don't think you can do it, and that's uh, that surprises me. That we think uh, and like making jam. Everybody could make jam before. Um, I feel when I meet people, uh, they they truly don't believe they can or can do it. Uh, I think that's uh, a bit sad. Mm-hmm. So I do want to bring in uh, the role that animals play on the farm because they are an essential part of the system and the circular system. So when it comes to the animals that you have on your farm, what role do they play in helping to create the soil health and even feeding your family? We have uh, chickens and we have sheep and we have uh, four cats and four cats is also very important actually because of all the mice and you know uh, the chickens they uh, do a lot of good for the soil with the, all the um, grazing but also you know they also do this with their feet and they eat uh, insects. Uh, and they eat, um, they, they keep the grass down between the rows with berries and fruit trees. Uh, the sheep, they are in the forest because we are um, making the forest um, with uh, lesser trees and more uh, of what we are going to grow. So they uh, graze it down and they uh, uh, stamp on the soil and uh, we send in the chickens after the uh, sheep have been there and we uh, move the animals um, often and that's a bit of the key because you uh, you can't uh, graze it all down you graze it uh, halfway halfway uh, and then you send them over and then it uh, whoosh, it, uh, it stimulates <laughs> new growth you yeah know? yeah so, and shifting the sheep and the chickens is very good for uh, the soil health. And then we're in, and, and the big bonus here is, if you imagine a field of, uh, of apple trees, and then you imagine the chickens going under trees, eating the grass, eating rotten fruits, and they, uh, of course, they leave some, uh, some presents around the trees. So this will help stimulate the trees to grow as well. It's layers, if you if you would like to. They will eat ants. They will eat insects. Uh, there's. It's not. I think that it would not be possible to do things on nature's terms. Yeah, without the animals. You know, the first year, I went. Me and my wife, we went with this equipment, cutting down uh, br- brushel and stuff like that in the heat with insects all around you. It was horrible. Now that sh- we just move the sheep three or four places every year. 
and they keep everything down and they produce meat at the same time and they're fantastic animals you know they uh, they have droppings they live around the place and we can go and get some of the droppings if we need some extra fertilizer for maybe uh, our tomatoes and it costs nothing we have no i read i just read that fertilizer is up over 70 percent so a lot of farmers have uh, they have big issues with this because uh, it's so expensive we no, we use no money on fertilizers we use no money on pesticide control this this uh, makes it extremely easy for us to grow our food uh, more cheaply and then we can uh, give the customer better food for a lower price you know healthy soil and healthy plants that's not money no. you know for yeah. <laughs> for the corporate so So we are not cool enough. <laughs> At this point, do you need to buy anything in the grocery stores or are you totally self-sufficient? We are, I would say, 70%. We don't make our own toilet paper yet. So we buy that. <laughs> And we buy um, milk from our neighbor because we don't have cow. Yeah. Our farm is uh, that small. Uh, we could have one cow uh, just for us, but... Uh, We have so much other things to uh, do. So uh, we buy uh, milk and cheese and, and we buy toilet paper. And the cool thing is the farmers that live around here, we trade goods, you know. One uh, one neighbor, he has pigs. So we trade some of our honey for some meat, you know. So that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the other stuff we actually buy at the RECO because I administer all the producers on the RECO in Oslo so we know everybody knows each other so if I would like some special kind of onions or garlic I can just talk to them and they will trade with me so it's quite fantastic actually so we only buy the things that we can't get from a regular farmer like Co coffee and chocolates yeah mm -hmm. and you're you're butchering your own meat or do you have someone you work with when you do that no we butchering um, our uh, chickens ourselves Uh, and we also have, um, I, um, uh, I don't know. No, um, <laughs> we take care of our hens and, uh, and also the roosters. Yeah. The roosters are mm -hmm. fantastic meat, but you can't have roosters anywhere because that's not the value. So, but we, for us, it's a, it's a big value. Uh, we have uh, many roosters and they grow up to be big boys. And uh, when they are too many, we uh, butcher some of them and uh, have a fantastic meal and we eat, eat the whole animal. It's a, real, it's a real coquava, you know, mm. the French uh, recipe. So it's, it's yeah. very gamey and, uh, and tastes great. So for us, this is about the circular economics of, of, of the whole process. Why would you throw something away just because the stores don't value it or they don't have the industrialized system to process it? These roosters are fantastic and there is a market for it. This is one of the reasons we started farming. You can't buy this. It's not possible. There's, there is one or two uh, farmers in Norway who produce asparagus. And one of them is far away. And asparagus mm -hmm. has to be eaten almost at once because the quality of, of, of the plant goes down really fast. So mm -hmm. there is no other way to get this quality. And I remember hearing that in Oslo, it's actually still possible to have chickens, but you can't have the roosters. That's right. And that was an interesting fun fact and even goes to show how much the, the country has changed in a kind of relatively short amount of time that people all used to have chickens. You, you know, uh, it's some farmers left and there have been built um, communities with uh, regular, regular houses around. And in some time, the farmer gives up because... He gets complaints every season for his noise. He's uh, drove the tractor in a, a bad uh, time of day, or he it smells bad sometimes. And you know all the things farmers do to make you food, but food that's not important. We don't think about food. We don't think uh, where it comes comes from. And then. We don't need the farmer. <laughs> I, if, uh, if the electricity went out in Norway, you will have uh, an episode of The Walking Dead in two days. You know, All the, all the apartments they built today, they, they only have central heating. There is no uh, fireplace anymore. So uh, how will you survive in 20 minus degrees in, uh, in Copenhagen if you don't have a fireplace? Where, where will you get your food when, if, if the electricity goes out? 
Do you have canned uh, tuna or canned meat or something like that in your uh, in your uh, basement or in your closet? Yeah, but it's it's funny even going back to the stereotypes. Like you said, I don't think of Norway as a food producing nation. You know, I think of it as being super rocky and kind of inhospitable. Yeah. But it is possible, and people survived there a really long time, so they did it somehow. And the same with becoming a farmer. I totally hold a stereotype today that it's not a good business to be in, and that it's kind of a losing proposition. It is. Uh, Norway had a record this year in how many farms that were laid off. It was 400. That's more than one farm every day. We talked to the to the um, to the state. There are people working there that try to stimulate people to start farming again. But how how are you going to get a 23 year old woman to to go into a a, a kind of work where she's going to make a very low uh, pay and 16 hour workdays? Who wants to do that uh, mm-hmm. without and- being passionate? And and also uh, the work is very often monocultural, so it's like boring. And this is the fun at our farm and at all small farms that's a bit self-sufficient as well. You do so many different things and it's fun. It's fun to see how uh, much food we can grow on small places. It really is like uh, Richard Perkins he's a big guy in the um, in Sweden in Sweden yes very good at uh, telling how you can do the regenerative uh, agriculture mm. and he like four or five times uh, um, uh, he produces five or six times the amount of food from the same space than a regular uh, uh, farmer does you know there's a guy in the US he's called Joel Salatin he uses uh, uh, cows for grazing. Uh, one acre of uh, grass, he gets six times as much grass from that as a regular farmer without using any fertilizer. So regenerative mm-hmm. agriculture is and sh- should be big business because you maybe you won't make as much food the first year because you're not using industrial fertilizer. Maybe you won't get as much the second year as well. But in time, in three, four, five years, you produce much more on the same amount of space. But I don't, I don't think it should be big business uh, in the way things are big business now. I think it should be big business because people are working there. Yeah. Like uh, we have to take all the people uh, in every country that's lazy and sitting down and don't know what to do. They can come out and do something fantastic. We are an organic farm and we have an organic certificate. And like you use in, uh, in Sweden and uh, Norway and Denmark, you have this green label. or It's an Ö organic. That means that we are not allowed to use industrial fertilizer and we are not allowed to use pesticide control. Not that we would do that anyway, but my point is that every time I talk to people about this they say but you can't grow enough food for the world when you're not using fertilizers and i always reply this is a secondary issue because we throw away almost half of all the carrots that are grown and we throw away over one third of all the food at the store maybe we should start looking at that first even before we discuss how much you can produce on your farm I mean, again, you can hear there's a lot of principles that go into this. And of course, the podcast I did before this one was with Yara, who is one of the biggest uh, nitrate-based fertilizer producers in the world. So it's really interesting to hear the other take of what happens when you don't use fertilizer, you know, and what does that look like? Because his take Um, was always, you, we, uh, since the 1905, he was talking about uh, using fertilizers to feed the, the planet and the world. And without it, people would starve. And maybe... Maybe it was like that in the 1900, in the start of the 1900 centuries. I don't know because we have come a long way when it comes to making crops that are efficient. But in this day and age where we throw away everything that we don't like and we buy new stuff all the time, I don't believe it. It's, 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 there's no sense in it because like you said earlier, back in the day, people survived. There's been people on this rocky place in Sweden, Norway, for um, uh, on Iceland as well. You, they ate their sheep. People, of course, people survive without fertilizer. It's a bit arrogant to to think that uh, we can do things uh, much better than the nature. I think it's. Uh, I think we are. It's a bit arrogant. I think. Yeah, absolutely. One thing that also stuck out to me and is so fascinating is that 
um, we are like Norway's, of course, one of the richest nations in the world. And the Nordics were generally very wealthy, but I heard that in Norway, they spend the least amount on food compared to many other nations in the world, like a very small percentage of their yeah. income, which is kind of nuts because you always hear mm. health is wealth and like, you know, food is medicine and these kinds of hot terms or trendy things. But I was really surprised by that. I would totally have guessed that they spend more on organic, more on this, more on that to get better Actually, quality food. Actually, Norway's uh, amount of organic food is on a downward uh, going spiral. It's lower this year than it was last. Actually, your home country, Denmark, is on the top because uh, in Denmark, the water supply is contaminated because you have water on the top, while in Norway, we have groundwater. So it gets easier polluted in Denmark. So they had to do something about this. The, the, the water reserves are ruined so or denmark is on the top in scandinavia on organic food in norway we use less than 13 percent of our income on food we use our money on big tvs and on big fancy cars and big fancy and nice houses with a huge kitchen and we still complain the food is expensive isn't that interesting and it, it's so fascinating again our brand in the nordics is sustainability right and we would I, i'm always pretty consistently surprised in doing this work that food is not top of mind when we talk about sustainability and there's a missing link. Like there's just something that is not registering for people that it's so fundamental to so many different things. Yeah. I don't, I don't have an answer for that, but, <laughs> but it's so fantastic that you do this job because uh, it was funny to hear how you, um, uh, how you do your work and how you try to link everything and everything has to do with the, Uh, everything has to do with food because food is basic. Yeah, it's a basic need. The truth gets out there. There is some a lot of people that are really working hard to stop uh, industrial big industrial companies from killing people with their food because that's what's happening. The food is poisonous. There's sugar. In, there is sugar mm. in everything. You know, I when we started to learn about food. We in Norway we eat goat cheese. It's supposed to be high in iron, and that is because they made it in iron pots. And when you look at the back of the goat cheese, it's not even goat uh, goat milk in it, and it's added sugar in it. So you have to today you have to be really food conscious to get healthy food. It's it's something you have to work at. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, before we get into the final questions that everybody gets asked, I do want to just talk about the basics, meaning. Um, I always put up on social media the option for people to put in a question and say, hey, I have a question for these people I'm going to interview. And almost immediately, I got a response from someone who's been following for a while saying that they worked in IT, they have a corporate life, but they've been thinking about what if I went to the farm and would that make me happier? And I, I love food. Like, what would it be like? So I'd love if we could just spend a couple minutes with you imparting any advice you might have in terms of how to get started, but also shining a little bit of light on the cost of doing this? Because I think for a lot of people to leave the corporate life to do this, you know, we have this idea that farming is super expensive. So what actually is the reality of how you transitioned and how much it costs to do such a thing? Uh, I think uh, a good uh, tip is to um, that one, uh, one of you quit the job, the day job, if the two of you are working, uh, the one, uh, one take care of the farm and build the farm up while the other one works a regular job because uh, it takes time to get the money rolling uh, on the farm. Um, and the second thing is um, you have to look at what you have, the house you are living in, how much can you get for, for that? And just look at farms uh, at that price range. And then you can get, uh, and if you're willing to move uh, a bit further uh, into the forest or uh, something like that, you can get a lot for your money. If you are two people, of course, you need a steady income. You know, most people, let's say Norway, if you have a house, maybe an hour from the big city, it will generate, and you can also, they want to live off farming. And some people buy a farm because they want to be self-sustained. So that's a question you have to ask yourself. And you also can you can also buy a house with a large uh, garden, like uh, two or three square meters, uh, thousand square meters. Yeah. And then you can be uh, you can do like a market garden, and uh, you can earn a lot of money on that. But uh, I think um, mostly, if you if you go into farming today, you ha you have to focus on something else than money because 
no one in their right mind would start farming today because they think they're going to make a lot of money. If you if you have that uh, state of mind, then you have to compromise a lot because then you really have to think. Actually, one of Norway's biggest milk farmers had to stop last year because even though they are really big and industrialized, they couldn't make it because milk is now uh, two times cheaper than uh, a, a cola, you know, a Coke soda uh, in the store. So, and and you and another tip is uh, to be self-sufficient. Yeah, if you are self-sufficient, you save a lot of money because you. When you go into farming, you have to think differently. It's it's not if your point if you, if your goal is to make a lot of money, this is not the right job for you. It's not uh, about just growing food. This is a lifestyle. It's mm-hmm. make you like here. One of the first things we did uh, in Norway now the electricity in the whole of Scandinavia is extremely expensive. So one of the first things we did when we bought our farm was to instead of having uh, warmth from radiators and stuff like that we got ourselves a huge uh, wood uh, cook stove and we heat the whole of our house with this wood cook stove so we save a lot of money even though we have to go out every day and get some uh, wood to put in the fireplace and you have to feed it three or four times a day we save money on that and we enjoy going out and getting our wood and putting in and looking into the flames so it's all about a kind of it's a state of mind you know you have you have to see mm-hmm. things differently and you and another thing to mention is um you can't uh, think that every everything is going to be perfect all the time that all makes really good sense and now i'd like to ask you the last four questions i ask everyone the first one is what is your vision for the future in 10 to 15 years when it comes to food we think that uh, like we said earlier that if you feed yourself and the ones around you if you eat locally then you feed the world it's that simple mm. and if- then you don't throw away food so we have to work on uh, communities and the value of the communities not just profit and then we can feed each other uh, with the basic needs mm. and then we get trust and then we don't throw away things so and to get there I think that we have to make it cool to be a farmer. You have to make it uh, something that you want to do. And uh, and then we can uh, uh, lay on that um, the lifestyle, what that, that uh, does to you. Because uh, you have to make it cool to be a farmer, to grow food. And the cool thing is to be healthy. That's cool. And... I've never in my life been so healthy and been so happy and had so much energy uh, as I have now. And I've been really sick for like 15 years ago. So I worked my way up and I work very long hours, uh, but I love it. And I'm mm. very full of energy. <laughs> she's like a derisal rabbit, you know, but at 10 o'clock, the lights go out. She's she's done. But uh, it's does so much to your mental health and that was one of the things i wanted to say about the good things about being a farmer is that you use your body and your mind all day Hmm. and what would you say are the collaborations you're looking for meaning is there any kind of help you're looking for or there is something that you need uh i want people to think about where they buy their food both with your dollars if you buy stuff from china that does not support your local community by locally. What is the best way for someone to get in touch with you, whether they want to follow your farm, join the Reco Ring, find a Reco Ring wherever they are? What's the best way for someone to get in touch? Facebook and Instagram. We uh, answer almost everyone uh, and we try as hard as possible to reach out to people who reach out to us. And I, I think it's pretty cool that we have a guy who did IT who's working as a farmer and made that transition and then a female farmer which I can't say I know too many of. So in terms of role models and making it cool, I think you guys are doing a pretty good job. I just wanted to say that uh, one of the key things is that we are both passionate about it because uh, a lot of farmers, we know only one of the persons are farmers and the other ones don't have any interest in that work. And it's much easier when both are genuine because then you can play on each other's uh, 
um, yeah, you know, uh, what you want to do and uh, inspire each other and discuss business opportunities. And think it's very, your hobby and your work is the same thing, you know, because you're connected. It's mm, beautiful. Thank you so much for coming on and talking about your journey and everything you've done. It's, it is definitely inspiring. Thank you. All right. That's all for today. You can find the show notes and more episodes at nordicfoodtech.io. And if you like what you hear, please be generous and take the time to rate the show or share it on social media. This is all about creating better food solutions, and we can't do that without your help. I'm Annalisa Winther, and let's spread the word about the Nordic Food Tech ecosystem together. See you next time.